This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Well, it's 4 o'clock. Welcome to the program. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand On for Life, a radio show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's going on in your mind or heart, we'll do the best that we can to see what God's Word has to say about it and how you might be encouraged. Uh, we've got a lot of good questions that have been sent in today, but we'd still love your live phone calls. Our phone numbers are area code 210 9585. That's 340 9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll free at 877 630 KSLR. That's 630 5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com uh, or via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. You can send them in that way as well. Uh, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app, and we would love for you to do that so we would get your questions. Because it's Monday, we've got a brand new week, but here at Calvary Chapel tonight, we have our men's, women's, and youth Bible studies here at 7 o'clock. Paula will actually be teaching the ladies tonight at 7 in the book of Philemon. Um, it will be live streamed at 7 o'clock on calvarysa.com. Uh, and uh, because it's Monday, I always like to hope and pray that you had a great day at church yesterday. I pray that people got saved. We had a lot of people come forward in our services yesterday. Uh, and um, that's always the reason that we're here. So hope you had a great day in church and hope that God was able to use you to be a blessing to someone else. One more time, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is our first question today from our mobile app that comes from Lisa. Lisa wants to know, why is Mary not in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11? Is it because she received the Holy Spirit juxtaposed to what Hebrews 11.39 says? I like your use of juxtaposed, Lisa. That's the first time on this program that's been used. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about those who have already gone ahead of us and are in heaven, those heroes of our faith, but more than just heroes of our faith. Verse 39 says, These were all committed for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Now, that's not a reference in Hebrews 11, Lisa, to the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to the Savior, the Christ, the Jewish Messiah. And all of the people in Hebrews chapter 11 are those who believed God's word. They believed God. And by extension, they believed the promises that God made, and they were justified by faith. 
And so no matter what they had to go through, and the list in Hebrews 11 is quite extensive. It's a list of people that gave their lives, a list of people that suffered uh, unbearably, at least from our perspective. And yet they still believed and they held on to their faith in spite of the difficulties or the questions that they had. So Hebrews 11 is committing all of those Old Testament saints. Now, um, I don't know, Lisa, whether you're referring to the fact that in my study yesterday, I said that Mary, uh, at least in the early part of the Gospels, belongs to the Old Testament dispensation. Uh, we see John the Baptist. We see uh, God speaking to Zechariah, uh, blessing Elizabeth, uh, and, and, of course, Mary. But this was before... Jesus was born. So obviously the first part of the gospel accounts in in this particular case are part of the Old Testament dispensation. But remember, uh, Mary was still alive um, or probably still alive when Hebrews was written. We can't say that for sure. Um, and, and yet, well, certainly her faith was spectacular. Uh, I, I tried to make the point over and over. I wanted to set the the, the truth straight about who Mary was uh, and who she wasn't, um, but she is a heroine of our faith and needs to be um, um, admired and, and our gratitude should know no bounds. What we don't do with Mary is worship her. We don't elevate her above other people, nor do we elevate her certainly to a, a level equal to or nearly equal to her son Jesus. So uh, she doesn't belong in Hebrews chapter 11. She is um, a giant of our faith, but these were all the people that were mentioned in the scriptures before the Old Testament figures, the saints who were before the Christ, had the promises of the Christ, had the promises of God, and they believed him, they held on to him when it was really difficult to do so. But they hadn't yet received it, and they died without having received it. So I hope that answers your question, Lisa. Thank you very, very much. Um, here is our next question. This one comes from our mobile app also. This one is from Myra. My son recently asked me, what happens if someone dies and that person is not saved? What happens to them? Also, what is Hades? And is that the same as hell? Uh, Myra, there really is um, um, the, the different words used to describe what we call hell. Our figurative language, um, the, the real hell, uh, the, the hell that you read about in at the end of the book of Revelation uh, that happens uh, at the, the great white throne judgment when they're thrown into the lake of fire, that's not been created yet. So uh, where do they go? They go to, you can open uh, with your son in the Bible to Luke chapter 16, and those who die... And if they are not saved, if they don't believe in Jesus Christ, then they're in the compartment that the rich man went to in Luke chapter 16. Uh, this is not a parable, Myra. This is a real story. Parables, Jesus doesn't use names. Um, that's a hermeneutic that's important to remember. And so there's two compartments in Luke chapter 16. One is a place called paradise, and that's where those who died believing went before Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And that's a place that's called paradise. Today, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, you will be with me in paradise. 
but additionally, there is another compartment in that place, and that compartment is still full. Uh, and that's a place where the rich man was found in torment. And he says, in this fire, and I think that's simply Jesus using figurative language, and I, I don't believe it's a literal fire, but really it's separation from God and all that God is, and of course God is good. So somebody today who dies, uh, apart from Jesus, they will go to that Luke 16 compartment, and they will be in torment. One of the really important things to communicate, and you don't tell me, Myra, how old your son is. I, uh, I, it, it, your question sounds like he's young and he's asking questions that, that kids would ask. But it's important to say this is why we tell people about Jesus. And this is why we live a life committed to Jesus, because we want people that don't know Jesus to know him so they don't have to suffer, so that they can be in heaven with us. Now, of course, today, when we die in Christ, we go immediately into the presence of the Lord. So there's no holding pattern. Um, there's only that place in Luke chapter 16. Um, paradise is empty. Jesus went and preached freedom to the captives and led the captives in his train. So all of those people are now with Jesus. But in the compartment where there is nothing but torment, those are the spirits of those who rejected Jesus Christ and his wonderful offer of salvation and forgiveness of sins. So uh, depending on the age your son is, you'll determine what's appropriate in terms of how specific to get. But please tell him this for me. Tell him that if somebody goes to what we call hell, they go to that place of torment, they do so over Jesus' dead body. And we use that phraseology to suggest it was really hard. Well, Jesus makes it hard for people to go to hell. He wants everybody to be in heaven. Now, obviously, he knows that everybody is going to. In fact, more are going to refuse and accept Jesus' offer of forgiveness. But what's really important here, Myra, is that he understands that when God is to judge somebody, when God honors the request in life, that they make to live independent of God. He honors that request in death. It breaks Jesus' heart. It breaks his heart. So make sure your son understands that as well. Thank you very much, Myra, and thanks for sharing your Bible with your kids. God's pleased. Let's go to my friend in San Leandro, California, Tanya on line one. Tanya, thanks for calling. Hi, Pastor Ron. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you like you're next door. Great, because I'm, I'm out waiting for the neighbor's kids. <laughs> Anyways, um, I wanted <laughs> to ask you about, I was having a conversation with somebody, and I had said something, um, I had said something like, oh, I, I'm not too sure that, that that's something that that person would want to do. And she immediately said, you know what, don't, don't say that, you know, don't, don't, don't curse it. And I thought to myself, <laughs> I... I, what my thought was, why would I want to curse when we can talk about, you know, sharing a good word as opposed to cursing? So can Christians curse? I'm not talking swear words. I'm talking, you know, yeah. of mini fire and brimstone. And how can I best minister to that person when that, because it comes up a lot and I've kind of brushed it off here and there, but everything that, that is, uh, I guess, uh, interpreted her, to her by her as a negative is, Oh, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're cursing that. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> and so I really want to get, and, and she comes from a strong Catholic background, but she's certainly born again. A lot of times, a lot of strongholds, a lot of kind of a hocus pocus kind of stuff. And so I, I'm really trying to uh, be kind in, in, in addressing this. And I was hoping you'd give me some guidance and I'll take your answer I, off the air. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you and give my love to your family. God bless you too. Okay. I love you. Thank you. Tanya, um, it sounds to me like your friend uh, goes to a faith church, a prosperity church, where they believe and teach very aggressively that words have power, that words are simply the containers for a force, and if you speak negative things, you can speak those things into being, just like you can speak positive things into being. Uh, and and because you care so much for this woman, the the, the way to minister to her, and, and I'm sure she knows your heart by now, is simply to ask her, why do you keep saying that? Do you go to church that teaches you that your words can create reality? And that will open a door for you to be able to talk to her about the the, the huge doctrinal and theological issues with prosperity churches. Um we have no power to curse anybody or anything. Um, you know, witches do that kind of thing. Not, not Christians shouldn't believe in that kind of things. But, but it, it's, it's typically uh, prosperity or faith doctrine. Uh, and they believe that if you say something bad, your words are going to snare you. Uh, I have some experience when I first got saved. I was a part of a church like that. And I knew that what they were saying didn't sound right, but who was I as a brand new Christian? Uh, so I did a lot of digging in, a lot of studying. Uh, but almost certainly she is in a church that is really unhealthy and really unbalanced. And the best thing you can do for her is to sit down with her in the Word and then invite her to a church that teaches the Bible. Maybe the two of you can sit down and do Bible studies together in the afternoons or something. But uh, she really needs to view scriptures through a different lens. She needs to take what the scriptures say and not what someone has told her the scriptures say. But uh, there, there's uh, nothing new about this. It's been around for a very, very long time. Uh, it sells well. It fills churches with false hope. And uh, what your friend um, is dealing with is is um, doctrine that's going to disappoint her. Um, I have no doubt she's born again. Um, people mean well, and people who don't study on their own, those who take what other people say uh, as truth without checking them out, without being Bereans, well, then they're the ones who are going to fall in the trap. So... Uh, just sit down with your friend and, and talk about the illogic of us being able to change reality. Do you think that we can put ourselves in the place of God? Do you think you can curse yourself? And I can tell you the people that she's listening to on so-called Christian television, uh, but she's probably getting a steady stream of it at the church that she goes to. If she is going to a church that doesn't teach that nonsense, then she's getting all of this nonsense by, by watching Christian television, and, and it is a tragedy. So, Tanya, she's actually in a dangerous place. Pray for her. Uh, that God would open her her heart. You know, and I'll share this with the audience. When I first got saved, uh, I owed a lot of really bad people a lot of money. I'd lost so much in, in my sin. And um, uh, I was going to church as often as I could. I mean, I was really 
saved and transformed, and I wanted everything that God had for me. Uh, and and uh, I had some friends who kind of turned me on to these prosperity teachers who told me God wanted me to be rich. He wanted me to be healthy. He didn't want anybody to suffer a disease. That there was something wrong with your faith. Um, uh, churches that taught that generational curses were real, they're not. Um, and churches that taught that words have power. And I studied and read everything I could. And you get to the place where every one of them is going to... to cause people to stumble so protect your friend I'm really really sorry for her and pray for her, thank you Tanya appreciate it very very much 340-9585 for your live calls and questions here is a question from our email inbox from Michael Pastor on good day to you and I hope that you and Paul are doing well Michael thank you we are uh, I want to ask you about Matthew chapter 23, verses 15 and 16. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. And then he says, is Matthew referring to legalism here? And then he asks, why is it that some of the Jewish people are still caught up in legalism? I'm amazed and perplexed that they are the chosen people of God, yet some don't follow what our Lord Jesus Christ, as he instructed them to do. Is this the work of the evil one in attempting to destroy them from within? Um, Michael, I'm going to take the last part of the question first, um, because I, I want to be sure that your perspective is right. Being a Jew, now clearly God chose Jews as his chosen people, the nation of Israel. But being a Jew doesn't put you in a place um, of, of privilege in the sense of, of, of going to heaven. Um, Jews, Gentiles alike, we have to believe. And the reason that Jews or, or people like you and me, Michael, the reason that some don't follow the Lord is because of unbelief. We don't believe him. We can know about him. We don't believe him. And the idea that that uh, a Jew as a chosen person of God or a chosen people of God, uh, they somehow get a pass, uh, is in contradiction to what the, the New Testament scriptures tell us. Read Romans chapter 9, the first five verses. Uh, Paul begins it by saying, I'd give my place in heaven if it were possible if only my brothers, the Jews, would believe. You wouldn't have to say that if Jews automatically got a pass into heaven. So uh, are they still caught up in legalism? Well, Judaism is in large part legalism, but what they're really caught up in, most Jews, by the way, are secular Jews, and they're just caught up in unbelief, just like Gentiles. They have to believe by faith in God, and it has to be Jesus Christ. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, um, actually, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 3 uh, he says that um, I'll read the passage Michael we're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at his radiance while it was fading away but their minds were made dull for this to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read it's not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is take, taken away. So it's very important. Um, uh, Jews have been given a hardened heart. It's a heart of unbelief. And the only way 
uh, to figuratively remove that veil. It's for them to turn to Jesus. And that's the way we all get saved, Michael. We turn to Jesus by faith, and then suddenly our eyes are open. So uh, being um, a Jew doesn't mean that they're going to be in heaven. Now, regarding the other question, um, uh, regarding Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, uh, I think you're reading the wrong context. He's not referring to legalism as much as he's referring to hypocrisy. Here's, um, um, in this passage, Jesus is, uh, this is just uh, before what we call the Olivet Discourse. And he's pronouncing these woes uh, by calling out these religious leaders. Um, Jews played word games, just like we now play word games. Uh, the Pharisees were instrumental in constructing an elaborate system of oaths. Some were binding and some were not. In essence, it was like saying something with your fingers crossed. You know, you didn't have to tell the truth. In Jesus' time, as an example, if a Jew swore by the temple, he didn't have to keep his promise. But if he swore by the gold in the temple, he was obligated to tell the truth. Completely different from Jesus' let your yes be yes. So the idea here is that they were making rules that suited them and they were holding other people, we would call them regular people, not the religious leaders, they were holding them to standards that they had no intention themselves of keeping. So in this whole passage in Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus is making a statement against their hypocrisy. Remember, the Jewish religious leaders, they were the ones who under the law of Moses were to represent God to the people. And they were representing the people to God. Well, they didn't care about the people. They only cared about themselves. So they were misrepresenting the people to God. But worse, according to Jesus, they were misrepresenting God to the people. They were giving them a picture that that God is, is a rule keeper and he's up there with a notepad. And every time you mess up, he's making a note of it so that, that you'll get punished. And Jesus simply saying to them, you, you hold everybody else accountable, but who's holding you accountable? And in this particular discourse, Jesus was the one, Michael, who was holding them accountable. So this wasn't about legalism. This was about, again, unbelief. You say long prayers. You meticulously tithe, even off your spices. But you neglect the weightier matters of the law, the law of love. You take money from the people. Jesus, very shortly after this, is going to turn over the money changers' tables in the temple because they're taking advantage of the poor. So this is an expose of their hypocrisy, Michael. That's the only thing that's in view here. And it's really, really important that we understand that and get that right. Remember, whenever you read the Gospel accounts, you have to view Jesus' ministry as entirely Jewish in focus. He came for the world, but when he came, first he came for his people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And all of his messages have that perspective, and that's why we have to read it that way. So, Michael, thank you for your well wishes, and thanks for tuning in, and thanks for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We have, I think, just a couple of minutes left, so let me get a quick question here. Here's 
one. Oh, I got that one already. So let me go to a question from Anonymous. I heard you say that babies who die go to heaven. Does that include illegitimate children as well? Uh, I don't mean to sound uh, cliche-ish here, Anonymous, but there's no illegitimate baby. There's no illegitimate child. There are uh, sinful ways of conceiving a child, and I know that's what you're making a reference to, but, but words matter here. So God who sees a baby as a child of God uh, the object of his love would make no distinction uh, for the sin of the parents of a child. So yes, every baby who dies before the age of accountability is going to be in heaven because Jesus only holds us accountable for what we do with what we know in his justice, in his mercy. He never holds us accountable for what we don't know. And that's very, very important. So yes, babies, all babies who die are going to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Um, regardless of the sin of their parents. Something else that's important here, Anonymous, to understand is that God never punishes anybody for somebody else's sin. There's no such thing. God goes off on his people in the Old Testament. He gets tired of them saying, who's fault is it? Who sinned, him or his parents? So the idea here is that we're only accountable for the things that we do wrong, not the things that we don't know about. And God loves everybody, especially a little baby. So I hope that comforts you, Anonymous. We have 30 minutes left in our Monday program this week. 210-340-9585 for your live calls and questions or toll-free you can call us 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of the program i'm sure you could tell that i had a complete brain fade at the end of the first half hour uh, a number that i've said i don't know ten thousand times it seems uh, and I just had a complete brain fade, so our toll-free number is 877-630-KSLR for your out-of-town calls. And we need some calls. I think I've only got about five questions left. Here is a question from Nancy. She wants to know, why are there four gospel accounts? Now, Nancy, uh, I don't know whether you're coming from the perspective there are other gospels that were written, or why are there more than one? Um, but, but each of the Gospels that God wrote, now this is important to understand, the Gospels that were written by God, the Holy Spirit pushing the pins of men. We know that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the ones who wrote the Gospels. But each Gospel account had a completely different perspective and, and purpose. Uh, there are four Gospel accounts because uh, Matthew is presenting Jesus. He is the most Jewish of all of the Gospel accounts. Matthew is presenting Jesus as the one who fulfilled prophecy, the Jewish Christ, the Messiah to come. Mark, and that's Peter's account 
of Jesus's ministry was written with the perspective of Jesus's servanthood. I didn't come to be served, rather I came to serve, and that's what Mark's gospel account portrays. Luke's gospel account, the one that we're currently studying here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio on Sundays, uh, presents Jesus in his humanity. So Luke, the only Gentile gospel writer, um, presented Jesus fully in his humanity. He doesn't deny the deity of Jesus, to be sure, but but his purpose was to show the human side of Jesus. It took a man to die for the sins of man. And then finally, John's Gospel, the last of the Gospels written, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic Gospels, but John's Gospel, written much, much later, uh, had a heavy emphasis on miracles uh, and was presenting Jesus as um, God in human flesh. So that's why there are four Gospels. Now, some of the other Gospels that we find out there, the Gospel according to Mary Magdalene, according to Thomas, they're not, they have value, but they're not written by God. So that's why there are four and only four. So I hope that helps. Let's go to a place called Junestown now and talk with Dale on line one. Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Uh, I had a question. It's, it's probably a bit obscure and esoteric. But in reading Matthew 19, uh, 12, where the Lord Jesus is referring to uh, the eunuchs, how some are born, some were made, and then others make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. I was just trying to reconcile that with why anybody would do that when it's pretty clear in Deuteronomy (laughs) 21 that they can't come into the congregation. Yeah. Well, in in a, in a Jewish construct, you're right, but but that's speaking about Jews. What Jesus is talking about in Matthew 19 uh, is um, um, a, a, a very teaching, uh, hard teaching. He says, we'll go up a couple of verses uh, to, to verse 10. Um, he'd been doing this very difficult teaching on divorce and remarriage. He said, you know, um, in the beginning, God, man and female together, together forever. Uh, so, so there's no divorce. Moses permitted it because of the hardening of the heart. But the disciples looked at him. And this was such a radical concept, and they said, if this is situ- if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. And then Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. Then he gives your verse. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Uh, others were made that way by men. Others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. So being a eunuch in the renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven sense would be to live a celibate life. Now, we know the apostle Paul did that. Um, uh, having been married, Paul rejected any possibility of being marriage, married uh, in the future simply because he wanted to focus exclusively on the things of God. Now, the, the reference to eunuchs born that way, uh, we live in a fallen world, and there were some people that were born uh, sexless or, or born without a sex drive. The more interesting, Dale, is that the, the others were made that way by men. You know, in much of the ancient world, uh, when kings had harems especially, the most trusted men uh, were made eunuchs so that the king could actually trust them around their harem, around their women. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego almost certainly were made eunuchs uh, by Nebuchadnezzar uh, in Babylon. 
uh, 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 Potiphar, for instance, uh, uh, Potiphar's wife was trained to seduce Joseph. He would have had to be uh, an important official in Pharaoh's court. He would have had to have been made a eunuch. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been able to be trusted. So Jesus is just emphasizing this um, uh, uh, just in case somebody is struggling with their their lust uh, if it's not married well not everybody can be single he's saying but if you can then it's okay to do it so i hope that answers your question dale it's 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 um uh there's important application for us i tell single people all the time nobody's going to make you be a eunuch but if you're single you need to pray as long as you're single for the gift of celibacy uh that way you can focus on serving god uh without temptation getting in the way and god i believe will answer through that prayer that help so you're reading your yeah yeah your reading of that then is that they did not physically make themselves eunuchs but opted for celibacy yes in, in in the second part of that the ones who were made eunuchs by men they were forced they had no choice and and that was simply a, a fact of life in the ancient world and then so then daniel could never celebrate passover then right or any of the other Jewish con- congregations? Well, remember Daniel, when he was taken to Babylon, was there for his whole life. So he, he could celebrate Passover between him and God, and his heart was righteous. So, But there was no, uh, while they were in captivity in Babylon, uh, th- there was no Passover celebration. Daniel was um, the most Jewish of Jews, but, but there was no place to celebrate Passover. In fact, when the remnant went back to, to Israel under uh, Ezra and Nehemiah's leadership, uh, it was some time before they were able to celebrate Passover the way it was intended, and it was a huge, huge deal. So those who were taken in captivity into Babylon, uh, they had no opportunity to celebrate the Jewish feasts at all. Okay. Well, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. 340-9585. Let's go to Cindy on line two. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. I've got kind of a two or three part question, and I'm curious about is there a boundary line for heaven? And the reason I'm asking that is when Lucifer fell and he took all those angels with him, were they confined to the earth, or are they just like hanging out in space somewhere? And also... (laughs) Would the fall have happened before or after the earth was created? And I'll uh, let I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. Thank uh, you. I, I like I like thinking about these kind of questions, Cindy. I appreciate this question. Um, I, to address the second one first, we don't know for sure when it happened. Now I'm opinionated, and I have a very strong opinion that the fall happened after. Uh, God created Adam. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his poema in the Greek. It's his workmanship is one of the translations. What it means is we're God's expression of beauty. In other words, we're the best thing God ever did. And I personally think, and I, there's no way I can prove this biblically, but I personally believe that, that Lucifer, who was the most beautiful of all of God's angels, when he saw what God did by making man, that's what really was the opportunity to spike his jealousy and open the door for the entrance of evil in the angelic realm. 
but uh, I, I could be wrong, um, uh, but, but the truth is we have no idea when that happened. Um, I think probably the majority opinion, Cindy, would be that it happened um, sometime in eternity past that we don't have any knowledge of. Now, regarding the fall of Satan from heaven and the third of the angels that he took with him, um, we know that um, um, Satan still has access to heaven. Um, he's one of God's servants, and there are times in the Old Testament where we see that he's at the throne of God, most notably in the, the poem of Job. So we know that he still has access to the throne. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren, and he accuses them before God night and day. So the, the enemy still has access. So he's not been cast out yet. I saw Satan fall. Jesus was talking prophetically. And we, we get some information, more information about that time in the book of Revelation. So that's a time yet future when heaven is cut off from them. Now, regarding the demons who fell with him, the third of the angels who fell, um, we don't know for sure whether they have access or not. Maybe they're not at a level uh, in terms of, of, of their original created status. Um, where, like Lucifer, they can go into the presence of God. We don't have any insight into how um, entrance in and out of the throne room of God uh, works. But but one thing we know for sure is Satan still has access. Well, we wish he didn't, uh, wish God would have shut him up, but they're not stranded. Uh, their mission field, Cindy, certainly is here on earth. So they are here on earth. They have always been here on earth. Uh, throughout the gospel accounts, we encounter demon-possessed people. Um, in the book of Acts, uh, this coming Friday night, in fact, we're going to encounter a demon-possessed uh, girl, who, uh, a fortune teller. So their, their ministry is here on earth. We know they don't like to be disembodied. So they don't just kind of float through the air. So they like human hosts, even to the point where they beg Jesus to let him go into the to the pigs, a herd of, of, of swine that committed pig suicide after Jesus allowed them to do that. So this is their mission field. This is where they work. Um, the only thing I can say for sure about access to heaven is that of... Uh, Lucifer, Satan himself. He still does. Uh, there is a day coming. It will happen during the Great Tribulation when he no longer has access to heaven at all. I can never really understand. And God doesn't need me to understand, obviously, but I can never understand why God would let Satan have access. God's smarter than me, so he's got a reason. But I hope that helps. Thank you, Cindy. I love those kind of questions because they make you think. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is an anonymous question. I am now dating a Christian woman and want to know how we should proceed. I think she might be the one, so how do we approach things like kissing and sex? We're both in our 50s and don't want to mess it up. Anonymous, uh, let me commend you. I am thrilled that you want to honor God in this relationship, and especially if this is the, 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 the one woman who might be uh, your wife one day. Uh, and I love the fact that you don't want to mess it up. So um, I can't tell you how to handle it in terms of kissing and sex. I can tell you that all sex outside of marriage is sin. That much is sure. So you can't have sex. Now, I don't mean to sound like a politician here, but a lot of it 
is going to be determined by your conscience and how you define sex. I personally don't think that kissing crosses a line. I think kissing can be really, really dangerous because that's going to lead to temptation and, and you need to be really careful of that. But see, I think individually, Anonymous, we all know our limits. We know what's going through our minds when we're interested in somebody and when we're holding hands or when we're hugging or when we're kissing. So there should be no sex at all. This is going to be possibly going to be your future wife. You're going to stand before God and give account of your ministry with her and for her. She is your partner or going to be possibly your partner in life. The last thing you want to do is to defile her by having sex with her. And the other thing you want to protect both of you against lust. So if you have a problem, now here's... This is just one pastor's advice. I'm not a big fan of long engagements. When two Christians are sure that he's the one or she's the one, and when that relationship as single people honors the Lord, then I just don't see any value in waiting a long period of time. You're both in your 50s, you say, and, you know, time's running out. So when you know that she's the one, that's when you ask her to marry you and you make plans to do it. Until that time, you stay away from any potential temptation that's going to overwhelm you. I've seen so many people, anonymous, mess up and get a marriage off to the wrong start. And once you give Satan that opening, he's going to devour you. So just honor your limits and hers, but be careful. I personally am not a legalist thinking kissing is the worst thing ever. But and I'm going to say this as delicately as I can. Keep your hands off her private parts and her hands off yours. And honor the Lord. If Jesus is with you on your dates, if Jesus is with you, then you're going to honor him, both of you, by honoring one another. Good luck. May the Lord bless both of you. And I hope it turns out to be the one. God bless you. I I really appreciate that kind of candor. And um, that's the heart of somebody who really wants to honor the Lord. 340-9585 for your live calls. We've still got some time left in the program. Lane wants to know, why did Jesus say that his father was greater than he if they are both God. Well, they're sure laying both God. So you have to look at the context, why Jesus said. Jesus said in his incarnation, the Father is greater than he. And he was speaking in terms of authority. Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 2, considered equality with God. Now he had it, but he considered it not something to be held on to. In other words, it's a very telling Greek word picture. It's like I've got it in my hand, but I'm opening my hand of my own free will. He voluntarily submitted to the headship of his father. He said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. Jesus never had an independent thought, at least in his incarnation on earth. And the reason is because he subjected himself to the authority of his father in heaven. It doesn't mean that he wasn't equal in terms of authority. 
It just means that he willingly put himself under his father's authority. And he did it at least in part, now just in part, Lane, he did it in part to show us how we can walk in and through this world under his authority. You remember how Jesus did it? At his baptism, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, given the Spirit without measure, in fact. The Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. The Spirit's not a dove, just that's the way it appeared. And everything Jesus did from that point forward, everything was led by the Holy Spirit. He had to trust God completely, even picking his disciples. You know what amazes me, Lane, and you didn't ask about this, but it amazes me that, that the first thing the Spirit did was lead Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted directly by the devil. That's so we can understand that Jesus was tempted in all ways by sin as we are tempted. He understands us. He gets us. He had to go 40 days without food and water. Then the devil shows up. And that was led by the Holy Spirit. Every step to the cross at the end of Jesus' ministry was led by the Holy Spirit. And he did that to show us that we too can walk by the power of that same Holy Spirit. So his father was greater only in terms of authority while he was here on earth. You know what the father did with that authority? Jesus himself said it. All authority has been given to me by my father in heaven. So Jesus surrendered his authority. And the result of that was God gave it all back to him. So it's really important. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So they are both persons of the Godhead, both completely equal, along with the Holy Spirit. But Jesus submitted, considering equality with God not to be held on to, making himself nothing and being humiliated unto death, even death on the cross. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. So that's why he did it, Lane. The same reason he tells us that we can be under his authority. God is the head of the Son. The Son is the head of man. And man is the head of the woman. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question... Um, well, let's go to... Oh, we got Daniel on line one. Daniel, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. I was going to ask you a question. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, when when it's about Christian freedom. Uh, when I first became a Christian, I, I still remember uh, one of the, the, the... what To me at the time, it was, it was kind of strange because that first day I remember... When I had received Christ, um, you know, I, I, I remember the, the the TV came on and there was it was a, one of those talk shows where I don't know these women came out on TV and it was about women who dressed in provocative clothing and I remember the the first thing when they came on, like I felt this thing in my heart like I, you know like I shouldn't see that you know and and I would kind of freak me out because. I didn't, you know, I, I, I didn't, before I would see that and I'd be like, oh, you know, like, you know. But this time I was like, oh, you know, I, you know, I felt like, you know, this is not something that I should watch. 
Right. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was kind of mind, like, it was kind of a different experience because, you know, I didn't know that I had been born again and this is why I was mm-hmm. experiencing this. But the thing was that as I, you know, I remember I had this early in my early Christian walk, I had this desire to live a holy life before the Lord, you know, like Mm -hmm. it was a sincere, genuine desire in my heart. But as I went on, I I started meeting other Christians that would tell me like, oh, brother, you know, don't be so, you know, uh, hard on yourself. You know, we all fall short of the glory of God. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and I used to think, okay, well, I guess it's okay to listen to that or, you know, and I, and you know, I didn't have, I wasn't, I was still learning and, you know, and sometimes at now, like even, you know, I, I still, sometimes things that are, that bother me, you know, I see other people that they're okay with it and I'm like, well, I don't know, maybe I'm, yeah. I don't want to make it legalistic, but, you know, I'm just wondering like. Daniel, I'm, I'm running, I, Daniel, I'm running out of time, so let me answer your question. I've got one other question that just came in as well. Um, uh, pursuing holiness is what we're, we're commanded to do. So don't let anybody else, you know, we use, well, nobody's perfect. And, and too often we use that as an excuse to sin. The reason that those things were wrong back then is because Jesus was alive in you. So don't be convinced by other lukewarm or carnal Christians that your way is wrong. Now, you can't insist that they do what you do. But what you can do is remember that honoring God with all of your heart, don't be desensitized to sin. Honoring God with all of your heart pleases him. And that's the, the, the goal of your life is to please him. So uh, go back to those early days. Go back to that time when all you wanted to do was walk with the Lord in holiness. And don't worry about what anybody else says or what anybody else does. This is just you and Jesus. And I promise you, you will be a delight to him. Thank you for that. I appreciate it very, very much, Daniel. Uh, I wanted to get to this question. It was a follow-up from Lisa. Uh, Thanks, Pastor Ron, for your last response about Mary. Uh, Yes, I did listen to your teaching yesterday about her. I want to make note that how wonderful God works to make his point to show up to the arrogant and the learned peoples uh, in that he used the are-nots of the ancient world. In this case, two women, a young girl named Mary and an older woman named Elizabeth, two women who had no real status in society, and yet God used them to start his master plan. I love him, so thank you for your faithful teasings. Lisa, thank you for that kind word. And and remember, the, the, the moment we think that we're anything at all, we've missed the whole point. God chose the foolish things of the world, the weak things, the shameful things, the despised things, the things that are not. You remember, Lisa, the church at Laodicea, um, uh, they thought they were rich and had need of nothing. But Jesus said, rich, you're poor, pitiful, wretched, naked and blind. Um, In other words, they were wrong and he was right. So we need to always remember that what God chooses are those who know we need to be chosen. I said in the message yesterday that God helps the helpless We've created a Christian culture that thinks God helps those who help themselves. By the way, that verse is not in any of your Bibles. God helps the helpless. I appreciate it, and thanks for your heart to listen to the program. Thanks for tuning in today. Don't forget, ladies, tonight, um, Monday night, Paul will be teaching the ladies at 7 o'clock. You can watch it at calvarysa.com. At the same time, men and high school and junior high school age youth, you've got Bible studies as well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hallelujah.